Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everyone. This is July 17, 2023. Better than expected updates last week on consumer and wholesale price inflation buoyed investor sentiment, driving stocks higher and lower bond yields. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 2.29%, while the S&P 500 increased 2.42%. The NASDAQ Composite Index advanced 3.32% for the week. The MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, gained 4.67%. So what does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 34509 That's year-to-date up 4.11%. The NASDAQ is at 14113 That's up 34.85% for the year. MSCI EFA index closed at 2185. That's up 12.42% for the year. The S&P 500 closed at 4505. That's up 17.34% for the year, year to date. 10-year treasury note closed at 3.83%, and that's about flat on the year. Uh, let's see, back-to-back positive inflation reports and bolded investors sending stocks to their highest level since April 2022. Lower than forecast inflation on both consumer prices and producer prices sparked investor optimism that inflation may be able to fall further without tipping the economy into a recession and provide the a basis for the Fed to moderate its more hawkish rate hike stance. After four straight days of increases, investor attention turned back to the kickoff of new earnings season on Friday, starting with the banks. Despite some positive earnings surprises from several big banks and a major healthcare provider, stocks closed out a good week with a slight decline. Inflation cools. So that's the big story. Inflation continued its downward trend last month, falling at its slowest pace in over two years. Consumer prices rose 0.2% in June and 3% from a year ago. Both were below economists' Uh, consensus forecasts. Core inflation excludes food and energy, which has been more stubborn, fell to 4.8% year over year. It's our lowest level since October 2021. The positive disinflationary story continued the following day with a lighter than forecast increase in producer prices. Wholesale prices increased 0.1% in June, which was lower than the consensus forecast of 0.2%. The increase from a year ago was also 0.1%, representing the smallest gain in nearly three years. Core producer price rose 2.6% year over year. This week, key economic data. So we got Tuesday retail sales and industrial production. Wednesday housing starts. Thursday existing home sales index of leading economic indicators and jobless claims. This week, notable companies reporting earnings. Tuesday, Bank of America, Lockheed Martin, Morgan Stanley, Schwab, the PNC Corporation, uh, Prologis, Wednesday, Netflix, Tesla, International, or well, IBM, the uh, Goldman Sachs is on Wednesday as well, Thursday, Johnson & Johnson, Blackstone, Intuitive Surgical, Abbott Labs, American Airlines, CSX, Freeport, Mac Moran, 
United Airlines, Capital One, and Friday, American Express. So quite a busy week. We'll get a lot of insight into how the consumer is doing and, uh, and around travel. So stay tuned for updates there. So tax tip, do you need to report cash payments? If you receive a cash payment over $10,000, you may be required to report it to the IRS. In this case, a cash payment includes U.S. or foreign currency and can also be uh, include cashier's checks, bank drafts, traveler's checks, or money orders. In addition, cash payments to an individual can also include payments from companies, corporations, partnerships, associations, trusts, or states. For example, this could include dealers of jewelry, furniture, boats, aircraft, automobiles, art, rugs, and antiques, pawnbrokers, attorneys, real estate brokers, insurance companies, and travel agencies. This requirement can apply to cash payments received in one lump sum or two or more payments over time. Check the IRS website for more specifics regarding what constitutes a reportable transaction. So how do you uh, report cash payments? Taxpayers should complete a Form 8300 report of cash payments over 10,000 received in a trade or business. You can file this form electronically or by mail uh, and copy, uh, send a copy to the IRS. You must submit a form 8,300 within 15 days of receiving the cash payment. Uh, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. So stay tuned. Uh, we're diving into technical analysis and where we think the market's headed and what are some opinions of some big institutional traders. Let's dive into our technical analysis spotlight for basically this little period of time we've got after an extended rally. So the S&P 500 index rally decelerates below resistance in the 4,500s levels. Look for that tr to um, transition to a bearish trend reversal, um, says JP Morgan, uh, technical analysis traders on their um, technical strategy. I happen to agree with them. Um, the S&P 500 index, so basically decelerates and triggers a short-term sell signal as the rally extension approaches the 4512 to 4567 resistance zone, a push below uh, 4278, 4328 is needed to derail the bullish trend dynamics. Key medium term support sits near around 4200 right now. So that's the headline, and that is the brief synopsis. Um, but let's get a little bit more granular and into the numbers here. So after a string, of better than expected economic data that fueled the late spring rally extension that derailed our bearish first half 2023 equity outlook and saw the S&P 500 index reaccelerate through key resistance near 4200 the index finds itself decelerating again the current pattern that often identifies rally exhaustion has set up just shy of the next cluster of meaningful chart levels that include the 4512 October to March pattern objective, 
4534, January 2022, 78.6% retracement, FIB retracement, that is, and the 4567 October 2022 channel trend line. The recent advance saw large and mega cap indexes decouple from their interest rate derived factors that had explained much of the price action over the past two years. It also saw the index performance stretch from its longstanding relationship with the macro fundamental data that historically predicted the probability for a U.S. recession in the coming year. So from a technical perspective, the upside breakout from the multi-quarter price patterns led to a material position squeeze. I've talked about that before on the show. The sharp move in sentiment readings from marginal oversold conditions to the most extreme level of bullishness in over a year illustrates that transition. With the market now showing clear signs of trend deceleration again and near the next cluster of key resistance, we are expecting a distribution pattern to form and that to transition to a bearish trend reversal in the weeks ahead. Initial support rests at the 4382 S&P 500 level. That, that's like uh, for, for May, uh, that's a 38.2% FIB retracement. Uh, 4,328 or 4,328 June 26th low and a 42.78 March channel trend line. So a break below that support would confirm a trend reversal. In our view, the next support rests at 4,221, which is the June 2nd breakaway gap and a 4,195 February 2nd high. We view that as a key inflection for the market. From our perspective, the market would need to drop through that level, the 4,057 Mar- October to March trend line and 4,010 200-day uh, moving average to put a bearish medium-term term outlook firmly on track. We are looking for those breaks to develop at some point in the second half of the year, but admit that from a purely chart-based point of view, it is hard to have high conviction in that call until clear distribution pattern bearish trend reversal develops. A push below 4,000 in the S&P 500 would turn our attention to the 3764, 3808 December to March lows as the next medium-term support. Coming into the year, we are looking for a retest of the 3,500 support area to mark the low for the current bear market. While that currently seems like a stretch after a recent rally extension, we would not rule it out. Conversely, a move through the uh, resistance levels noted above and the 4631 March 2022 high would leave the 4818 uh, January 2022 cycle peak and the 4901 May 2022 to June 2023 pattern objective as the next big resistance levels. We see a retest of the cycle peak as a very low probability event at this point. So there you go. There's their take. That's their uh, short to immediate term outlook. Very interesting from a technical perspective. One that I agree with. Um, we, are, we are quite overbought on, uh, on the market trends at this point. Um, we're going to see some deceleration, probably some sort of retest. But who the heck knows how far down that retest is going to be. It just depends on the appetite and the the positioning of major market players um, as far as uh, pension funds and endowments and their rebalancing. And they've kind of missed this trade, uh, this rally that's happened this year. I think they were kind of offsides in their own portfolios. And now 
they might need to be playing catch up. So who knows how high this squeeze is going to go? No, and who knows how far down uh, this this reversal is going to be before they can find a new reentry point. Meaning market makers tend to like to make the market, and big players can push the market around in either direction. And so, as investors, we need to stay diversified. We need to stay in our high conviction ideas and then also look for opportunities for when the market does pull back. We look at maybe adding some more risk to portfolios, um, albeit we don't, uh, you know, treasuries are paying 5.4% and the Fed's likely to raise interest rates here at the end of the month, which gives you a nice uh, cushion in treasuries earning north of 5% to maybe even 6% here in the near term. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to chase or add more risk when there is a pullback, um, especially if you've already been uh, participating in the rally this year, which uh, many of my clients have. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but uh, that's the, I, I feel like that's a good take on the market right now. Um, there's, there's some additional information I'll share with you in this next segment. Hey everybody, this is Brent Foster. Here's some additional thoughts on the market. So downplaying near-term recession and medium-term soft landing scenarios. While the growth lift from normalizing services demand and commodity prices should fade, the resilience of the U.S. and global expansion should remain in place. Core goods prices are now set to slow inflation in the face of manufacturing weakness and the removal of supply-side constraints. However, uh, accumulating evidence of an underlying shift in the inflation process reflected in labor market tightness, wage and price setting behavior, and persistently high short-term expectations suggests this disinflationary impulse will be limited. We thus downplay our near-term recession risks while also expressing skepticism that a soft landing can be achieved in which inflation returns to central bank comfort zones on a sustained basis without a downturn. So core goods inflations slide to be magnified by falling China export prices. So think about that. It's uh, core goods inflation is going sliding down uh, quicker than expectations and basically globally a delayed response to the removal of supply bottlenecks is gathering steam and uh, looks to be uh, uh, reinforced by the loss in pricing power due to a contraction uh, in the first half of 2023 global factory output, as well as the recent sharp fall in the price of U.S. and Western Europe imports from, guess who, China. So there you go. There's that. And then obviously we're underweight um, Eurozone companies in equities versus the U.S. Um, we stay cautious on China and looking at trying to gain exposure to, to that particular area of the economy. Let's see. Bonds. Let's talk about that. Bonds rallied, reversing much of the sell-off since the start of the month following the U.S. CPI data. So uh, the June CPI print surprised to, on the downside, both for headline and core measures. While we still see the Fed hiking in the July meeting, the downside surprise means a narrow path to a soft landing is modestly wider. Uh, in principle, this should be conductive to adding long duration exposure, a fancy way of saying you can go longer out on the yield curve and, and have a safe bet. So that way you get a higher uh, interest rate or higher yield. 
uh, over a longer period of time. You lock in that higher interest rate for longer, which is not a bad idea. But the rally has seen valuations turn rich again in the fixed income spreads. So let's jump down to currencies. Last week was a gut check to the constructive USD view, which is United States dollar. Uh, We assess the dollar's evolving sensitivities around rate spreads, growth and cross-asset correlations, given the global backdrop hasn't substantially improved. We also quantify conditions that would be consistent with another leg lower in the USD. Our assessment of the tactical landscape is not as bearish for the USD as the fourth quarter of 2022. Um, So we stop out of the USD risk on follow through from the US inflation data. Commodities, let's talk about uh, oil. So oil dumps the dollar. We update our fair value market. So a structural shift is observed. Big buyers of energy can now buy energy at a discount from sanctioned Russia, Iran, and Venezuela, countries that combined represent close to 20% of the global oil exports. Crucially, Russian oil is now either sold in the local currencies of the buyers or in currencies of countries that Russia perceives as friendly. The U.S. dollar appears to be losing its once powerful influence on price relative to both IP and U.S. NEER OECD oil inventories now play a much more dominant role in determining oil prices. Our current price forecast calls for inventories to uh, um, for Brent prices to increase into the 80s, uh, meaning $80 uh, per barrel in the third quarter and exit the year at around 86 um, as inventories have now started to draw. And that data is from Oil Markets Weekly, July 13th of 2023. Meanwhile, weekly road fuels demands drop for the most in 2023 over the U.S. holiday lull, and that's from the oil demand tracker on July 12th. So um, let's see, buying the dip in agriculture, the USDA's July WASDE is looking for a larger cut to U.S. corn and soybean yields and ending stocks. Sugar production continues to track historical highs. U.S. corn and soybean crop conditions have stabilized but remain at some Of the lowest levels over the recent decades, the Black Sea Grain Initiative renewal remains a primary source of volatility across the wheat market. We stay long the complex via uh, an index. Uh, So uh, that data is from Agricultural Markets Weekly, July 14th. So there we go. There's some additional market thoughts for you. Stay tuned for the next segment. Came across this article in the Daily Upside, wanted to share it with all of you. Nobody wants to invest in small tech. So big tech may be powering a bull market, but Silicon Valley startups aren't enjoying any trickle-down effects, uh, is, is one of the lead headlines of the Daily Upside's July 17th edition. Uh, totally go there and check them out. Subscribe. They're one of the best ones that I've seen on a daily basis. Uh, They know what they're talking about, and I love reading these. Uh, Venture capitalists are pulling back on mega funds, depriving startups of much-needed cash on the long road to an IPO. Meanwhile, investors are rapidly uh, deboarding Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, a fund still mostly dominated by pandemic-era tech firms like Roku and Zoom, whose impact can be better described as minor disturbances than outright disruption. We call them mid-tech. 
That's hilarious. Jumping ship. So while Wall Street uh, has once again embraced companies that make money with bonus points awarded to anything that can also stir up AI hype. So that AI means artificial intelligence. It's why the highly profitable and AI curious mega cap man, that's the new acronym, M-A-A-A-N stocks. That's Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and chipmaker NVIDIA are nearly single-handedly driving a new bull market. And ain't that the truth? But the bull, uh, but both Wall Street and venture capitalism are losing patience, waiting to see which startup or mid-tech firm will start reaping big profits and wiggle its way into the adult table. You know why? The Fed's rate hiking campaign has shuttered the cheap cash gusher for growth-focused tech firms, both public and private. Meanwhile, large institutional investors like pension funds and university endowments are much stingier in light of economic uncertainty. That puts venture funds and one of the industry's marquee ETFs in a serious bind. So uh, let's see, uh, only seven VC funds totaling $1 billion or more have been raised by venture firms so far in 2023, according to PitchBook, well off the pace from recent years. Y Combinator shuttered its long-running growth investment fund, Tiger Global and Sequoia Capital, each significantly scaled back ambitions. And Anderson Horowitz is mulling a right sizing of its future venture funds, sources told the Wall Street Journal. Despite rallying 50% so far this year, ARK shares are still trading 70% below their peak, while assets under management currently total just $9 billion, well down from the $30 billion peak, thanks mostly to investment losses. Investors have uh, pulled a net $717 million from the ETF in the past year, according to FactSet. You have a whole group of people who got in somewhere near the top and are sitting on horrific losses, says Matthew Tuttle, CEO of the Inverse Arc ETF operator Tuttle Capital Management, told the Wall Street Journal. I think some of those people have said, I'm never getting back to even. This is probably the best I'm going to do, and it's time to get out. Oopsies. Of Arc's top five stakes, Tesla, Roku, Zoom, Coinbase, and Block, only Tesla and Zoom turned profits last year but the fund has made its share of head-scratching bets too, like selling off its stake in NVIDIA in January ahead of the company's rocket ship run to a trillion-dollar market cap. So much for letting AI supercomputing microchips fall where they may. Um, This article was written by Brian Boyle. Nice job, dude. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And uh, let's see, on to the next one. Tesla has finally started building Cybertrucks in a slowing EV market. That's the headline. After years of delays, the first Cybertruck came off the assembly line at Tesla's Gigafactory in Texas last weekend. But uh, with EV sales slowing, it might be a while before the $40,000 vehicle becomes a ubiquitous presence on the road. Um, Tesla CEO Elon Musk unveiled the prototype Cybertruck way back in 2019. And despite a blunder when the apparent bulletproof windows were shattered by a lightly thrown metal ball, drivers were still intrigued. While most car makers have designed EVs to look like their gas powered counterparts, the aptly named Cybertruck with its angular build and reflective stainless steel finish is reminiscent of Blade Runner only incapable of flight. 
an unofficial crowdsourced tally from Electrek uh, found that nearly 2 million drivers have made the $100 refundable uh, deposit to order the Cybertruck. Most major car makers are winding down combustion engine vehicle production the next decade in favor of EVs. But besides needing a supply of lithium for batteries and a national charging infrastructure, car makers are facing another problem, absconding buyers. Market researcher Motor Intelligence found that EV sales grew roughly 50% in the first half of 2023, far below 71% growth rate last year. And Cox Automotive found that EV day supply, uh, the time it takes a dealer to sell a new batch of inventory, went over 100 days, more than double the day's uh, supply for all models. Obviously, EV interests are still there, but it might not be the quick seismic shift uh, some automakers were hoping for. Uh, just last month, Lordstown Motor, an EV truck maker accused of inflating pre-order numbers of its vehicles, filed for bankruptcy. A Cox survey found that only 31% of dealers and 53% of buyers see EV as the next big thing. EV growth will continue to outpace overall industry growth, but the days of 75% year-over-year growth are in the rearview mirror, Cox Research said. Uh, adding the hard growth days are ahead. So life in the slow lane, despite the initial hype, the cyber cyber truck doesn't seem high on Musk's list of future Tesla concerns. In an April earnings call, Musk wanted investors to remain realistic about the car, saying the start of production is always very slow. So I wouldn't put too much stock in the start of production. It's kind of when does volume production actually happen? And that's next year. Musk knows that demand will be tricky going forward, and that's why he slashed the prices of Tesla's Model 3 and Model Y vehicles six times this year, written by Griffin Kelly of The Daily Upside. Well done. And that wraps up this week's The Northbound Wealth Podcast. There's more uh, that I'm going to keep developing and sharing with you guys, more content, and uh, it'll be interesting over the next weeks and months ahead. Enjoy this week and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.